everybody. Welcome to another edition of RZ Weekly. We've actually been on Pesach hiatus, so we're glad to be back. And uh, we're in week 77 of the corona, uh, coronavirus um, uh, um, isolation. Not exactly, but it kind of feels that way for many people. Week 77? I'm, no, I'm kidding. Right, it's a, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, it's not been four months. It's no, it has not been four months. It's okay. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, it, but it just feels like that to many people. Actually, in Israel, as we speak, there are a series of hakalot, of lightning of the Xerot, the children started to go back to school today. But what we'd like to discuss today is, is a series of articles, first by Rabbi Elchanan Puko, then by Dr. Ari Ferziger, about the issue of the relationship between Israel and the Israeli public and, and, and the Golab, well, we're talking specifically about the American Jewish community, but also the European Jewish community. Whereas in Israel, as it's well known, Israel, uh, because of the management of the government, saw, um, has somehow managed to minimize to whatever to be possible. Of course, every life is critical and every life is, 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 is cherished. But to minimize, as of today, uh, a little more than 200 deaths. Whereas, as we all know, in Europe in, in, and in the United States, Jewish communities have just been decimated, decimated, suffering, terrible uh, deaths, and we're, we're seeing institutions that are really on the on the brink of financial collapse. No one really exactly knows what's going to happen afterwards. No one knows what's happening in the Israeli economy either, for that matter. But both Rabbi Puko and uh, and Dr. Frisiger they express this sentiment that like we're here every time there's a rocket that's fired or somebody hurls a grenade or Somebody's, you know, says an epithet about Israel. We're there for you. We're behind you. And now all of a sudden, we're suffering. I'm, I'm paraphrasing, obviously. And all of a sudden, we're suffering. We're decimated. Where's Israel? Where's the Where's the love? How, you know, where's the achva? Where's the achdu? Okay, that's the. So, and there's a call for 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 solidarity. Usually, we think about solidarity in directions of gola of in order for let us say gola diaspora. We'll talk about that to to the Jewish community in, in Israel, and now there's a sense, a fascinating sense of a turnaround where the Jewish communities around the world are looking to Israel and saying, "We need your help. We need your support." They don't exactly say what we need, but we need something. And uh, we thought this would be a fascinating topic to discuss. So I guess, Molly, the first question I want to ask you is, um, what do you think they're asking for, and do you think that this is a paradigm shift in that? All of the sudden, diaspora communities see Israel as a source of support, moral support, not, maybe financial support, unclear, but at least um, 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 emotional support even, whereas it was always the other way around. They want us to say to him for them, whereas they always said to him for the Matzav, or whatever the Matzav was. Yeah. So the first thing I have to say is that I just want to echo what you said. Um, that 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 whether they're asking for it or not, I think we should be should be um, certainly emotionally and probably also communicating a tremendous sense of empathy, because I think we really here um, are, are really um, are not aware of the degree of, of of tragedy that is striking the Jewish communities, certainly the Jewish community of New York. Um, I was in contact with somebody about something and, and they wrote back, well, you know, it's been tough because I've had eight Zoom shivas in the course of, I forgot, they said a week or two weeks, something like that. Mm. You know, like we're not, the, 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 the scope of the tragedy is so tremendous. And that that part of it, I think, 
I think that's where the cry comes from, and I think we really have to be sensitive and empathetic to it. In terms of your two questions, I do think that there's a paradigm shift, and I think it's quite fascinating, and I think it's quite interesting. Um, you know, this is something we've talked about also in terms of the rupture and reconstruction article and where we are 25 years later. It always really did feel like America was the rich uncle and Israel was the poor relation, and therefore they were talking down to us, and Israel was the kind of rough chutzpahdik, you know, teenager, and and that's shifted. Um, that has definitely shifted. Israel is, I've said this for a while now, Israel's been on an up, upward trajectory, thank God, in a lot of areas. Um, we've really been, been flourishing. Even our democracy, for all the complaints about, you know, oh my gosh, three elections, who knows now? Right now the Supreme Court is having the conversation about what's going to be. Are we going to fourth elections? <laughs> who knows? I'll say it here. Fourth elections, baby. It's going to happen. <laughs> it's going to happen. <laughs> um, but still, there's something very robust about our democracy. There's something very healthy about about our political system, certainly as compared to what's going on in the U.S. Even this crisis, I think, has sharpened that for me. Where like I'm seeing what's happening in other places in the world. And it, there really, a pandemic is being politicized. I, I would never have thought it was possible. But we've reached a point where, 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 where life is so um, bifurcated, so black and white, everything is political, that you can tell how somebody feels about a lockdown by whether they, not everybody, but broadly, whether they're a Republican or or a Democrat, what are they going to be posting about, whether they're pro or anti-lockdown. It's just insane. And I think we're in a healthier place here. So, so, and that's just one example, that's just politics. But I do think Israel is thriving in many ways. Um, and I think that, that a paradigm shift has occurred. And I am curious, though, that, you know, like when you said, like, what, I am curious what they're asking for, because it's not clear what is... But let's step back for a second. These are two articles. One of them was written by one rabbi, and another was written by that's an right. academic. Okay, also, an academic also Ronald Lauder also wrote something. Lauder wrote it that you said in a more general sense about the need for solidarity, and we'll, we'll, we'll get, I can get to Lauder in a second. Do you sense... I mean, we're living here. Do you think that Rabbi Pupko's... It's really one rabbi in America. And it, and it and it resonated on um, it resonated among people who are let me put it this way he wrote it in English on the Times of Israel so it resonated among those communities it definitely resonated among those communities do you, and when Ronald Lauder speaks that obviously gets attention too for obvious obvious reasons do you think that the average Jew in America is looking to Israel or Rabbi Pukka was expressing a sense of pain individually but it doesn't really reflect. A broader sense of well, how come they're not worried about us? Interesting question. I think the way I would frame it, because I've really been struggling with this, is I don't think Israel has done anything wrong. I don't, meaning, I wouldn't take what they're saying as tochacha that we've been doing anything wrong, because I don't think Israel's doing anything wrong. And I have to point out, we have been very busy dealing with our own pandemic over here. And if we haven't noticed that the diaspora is looking to us, it's not because we don't care about them. It's because maybe it's like as you said, it's this paradigm shift. We aren't really aware quite. Of, of the expectation that is asked of us. and maybe, But maybe, therefore, we should kind of make that paradigm shift and say, like, oh, I didn't realize. I never realized because we're so used to the dynamic being one way. I didn't realize that you actually are looking towards us for leadership. We, don't, we never think of ourselves in that role. Maybe we should take that role. Um, but if we are going to take that role, I think it has to come with a tremendous – it's very complex, right? Like, I think we have to be – Okay, let me just, one more sentence. I think we have to be um, proud of our achievements and willing to share um, our successes without being in any way, 
And I think this is a danger that we can step into without being in any way condescending, without being in any way, any way um, I told you so, or, you know, um, it's preachy. And I think Israel's, Israelis and even Israeli American Olim can flip very quickly into that when they speak to American Jews. And I think we'd be very sensitive to that. Um, if there's a way to be empathetic and caring and supportive and kind, um, then I, I think that we should. I, I'm not sure that we did it. Again, that's what I'm going to say. I'm not sure that we ha- I don't think we, we, we did anything wrong. But if, if that's a need that we can provide in a healthy, positive way, then, then, how, then I would ask, I would, you know, I'd ask both of you, how do you think we could best do that? So I'm going to turn it to Johnny. Johnny, do you, uh, last three questions. One, no, I believe it's two. One, do you think that that the Jewish communities, let's take where you're from, from the United Kingdom, the ones you're in contact with, do you think they look to Israel for guidance in this uh, in this incredibly difficult time? One, and number two, uh, do you think that Israel has something to give them? Guidance, support, emotional. What do you think? Okay, so I'll quickly go back to the articles you referenced and then address your two points. There are three people who who made a very, very compelling argument that there was somehow something missing in terms of the Israeli response to the Jewish experience of corona outside of the state. One was Ronald Lauder. And and the line that came out from his article, I want to quote it, he says, Many felt frustrated because during their hour of need, they were prohibited from traveling to the state they see as their second home. So really for Ronald Lauder, this is a a practical objection. Hey, perhaps we would have wanted to come to Israel and you guys shut your borders. Ultimately, of course, there comes a point where if you seal a country, you can't necessarily have exceptions to the rule. Uh, And though that's, of course, regrettable, that affected Many, many people, a lot of my family, were able to come when they were planning to come, etc. Meaning they, different... they wanted to come for Pesach? They wanted to come and visit and go into Bidud? What is that? Meaning, like, let's yeah, say, I think that if, I wonder, like, if Israel... Health and security first. If, if, I, I think if, if Israel felt that Jewish communities were in danger and people wanted to make Aliyah, of course they would open up their borders. That, but that wasn't the question. You wanted to come to stay in a hotel? I don't really understand what that question is. What that... I, I, I'm merely quoting the article, and it's important to note that he say so he wrote this right. article, so that, and that was a, a, that a direct practical critique. That's okay. okay. practical critique I would like to register an objection to. Okay, the, the, sec- Object, the, the objection. second person... Noted, Your Honor. No, 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 no. It's, it's important to distinguish between the three, the three articles. Yeah. The second one is uh, Robert Elchanan Pupko, who basically said, you just need to empathize. We're, we're, mm-hmm. we're really, really suffering here. We just needed to hear that you're there for us in any way you can be. And by the way, one person responded to him saying, listen, I can get you some um, emergency masks that we're producing here in Israel, and we have a little bit spare, which seems strange because I know we were really struggling. But so, but he said, yeah, just if you can do that, that would really be appreciative. So he, it was less about the practical, it was about just say that you're with us, and if there's anything you can do practically, we're not even going to give you a list, then then that would be really appreciative. See, it's really um, interesting because... Israel, when there's a tragedy, like there's an earthquake, or there's an, Israel very often offers to help. But I think that it was very sensitive here. Could you imagine Israel going and saying, Israel sends masks to Jewish communities in, in whatever? You know, how, how would that... I'm going to bring up the third element. Right. Here. That's the piece Precisely. And, 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 and we'll... 
Right. And we all know that we had, sorry, and we all know that we had a, a, a real limitation of these kind of masked people in your neighborhood. Miriam, we know, has been raising money. Sorry, Maddie, you were going to say. No, no, no. I'm just saying that, like, that's the piece that I find a little strange. Like, do they not realize that we're also, just because we're handling our pandemic well doesn't mean we're not in the middle of our own crisis handling our pandemic. It's not like sending someone to Haiti. Like, like this, that, that I found strange. Like, that piece of it I found a little strange. Like, we're. So he didn't he didn't quite say that, but again, it was it was a broad and actually was emphasized the emotional. So I don't right. want to that, put words in, in his mouth. Right. The third one was Adam Furzig, who basically spoke much more historical context, kind of like saying, We've been there for you, yeah. And uh and the way you've engaged with us and the way you've spoken about us has often been somewhat uh less flattering, even though we've propped up so much of the Israeli state. And uh, and we'd like you to kind of like say the right things without patronizing us. So, but it, there's a lot of history under underpinning Adam Ferguson's uh, critique. So I just want to separate the three. One is a practical uh, criticism. One is an emotional plea. One has a lot more rooted to the historical dynamic between primarily, although not exclusively, American jury uh, and, and the citizen and the and the um, government and state of Israel. In terms of the UK who, by the way, as of, I think, today, have 335 deaths in the Jewish community, which is significantly more than we've got here, even in the entire state of Israel. Yeah. I have friends, rabbis, who have literally spent days on end doing burials, who have suffered massively. Obviously, communities have suffered significantly. But I don't think, and I'm not going to put words in my friends' mouths, and, they, and if somebody would listen to them, I'm happy for them to correct me. I don't think they've said, nowhere is Israel. They have a health service. They have a community, they have a coherent and centralized leadership, meaning the chief rabbi, and they've appreciated that to help guide them during these difficult times in terms of policy making, in terms of joining the dots between what the community can provide and what can be provided outside of the community. And I think that's been a significant difference. That doesn't mean they haven't been hit hard. They really, really have. But when you're hit hard and you feel you're being internally led by people who understand that context, that's as best you can. And truth be told, I don't necessarily think that a couple of Israelis coming to the UK saying, we think we know how to help you. We won't necessarily change the Jewish community. Maybe the health service may appreciate that, but I believe there's been lots of information passing through. So we have to separate between health guidance, which the health ministry has been in contact with health ministries around the world. We know that and they know that. And a sense of communal support, which really what Rabbi Pupko seems to be calling upon, which perhaps has been more silent that some would have hoped, although I take Mali's point, which is, you know, empathy needs to be expressed and should be expressed, but we too have been really on uh, a an edge where things could have gone either way. And although perhaps we've been celebrating our successes, it's been a lot more challenging on the ground. Okay, I want to respond to something both of you said. And, uh, you know, first of all, this is not to criticize Rabbi Popko at all. I, I saw his article... Not so much as a criticism of Israel, as much as a just a cry of pain that that you know that we don't really understand and appreciate the level of suffering, and that maybe if we did, if people understood how pervasive it is and how many funerals and how many communities are suffering, then we would really internalize it to a larger to a larger degree. And I think that we need that you know, and um, Israel is. A, it, I would say it's tone deaf in general. You know, like, what do you want? You want the government to respond? You want the chief rabbinate to respond? You want, uh, you know, organizations to respond? I don't think he knows the answer to that. 
And I think it's something that we're thinking about in the future. What's Israel's responsibility to be a moral force or, or an emotional force? And whose, whose responsibility is that? You know, I think we would have been happy if the chief rabbi would have gotten up and said, we have to pray for the Jews of, of America. You know what I'm saying? Why? Because, and that's the second thing I want to respond to. I don't think it's true, but I think there's a perception in, 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 in the community or in the media and what have you, like there's a perception here, that in general, the most the people who are suffering the most are, of course, senior citizens, obviously, and uh, you know, old age homes, but obviously, but they're also Haredi. And there's a sort of a, I don't really know how to say this, but a sort of a, there's a definite disconnect. You know, if it's a, if there's a disconnect between Israel and its own Haredim, then there's an even more of a disconnect between Israel and diaspora Haredim, who are apart from and separate from and distinguished from and don't identify with the state of Israel. And I think that there's some, I was thinking about this a lot, is there some subtext, some subcontext of, you separate yourselves from us. You don't actively support us. You won't even pray for us. You're not even here. And, and, and that brings us to the, the discussion of this idea of, of um, sympathy without, without, uh, without um, not the word, patron, without being, what's the word I'm thinking of? Patronizing, condescending. Patronizing. Patronizing. Okay, the, the second thing I want to mention also is that what Israelis can never understand right now is the specter of anti-Semitism that being a Jew in, Go, in the Gola raises. I, I was talking to a friend of mine, a good friend of mine for a while, and I said, oh, you know, like the Hamchayot, and we have Minyanim outside, and it's not, I don't believe it's dangerous at all. I, I really don't. I never did. But whatever. I said, I'm sure by now you could, you know, prop, you know follow social guidance and uh, social distancing. I'm sure you could have Minyanim outside. He said, you got to understand, you know, the, the Gentile community around us, like they, they think that a lot of the a lot of the a lot of the infections came from the Jewish community running around, and you know it started in New Rochelle and it came from this Hasidic community, that Hasidic community. He said nobody wants to have a minion at all for obvious reasons because we want to make sure that you know we don't we don't spark really really unfortunate incidents. And so, like Louder referred to anti-Semitism in his post. But it's just not something that we think about at all. Like I think, okay, I have to. I have, I have health issues that I have to deal with, and social distancing I have to deal with. But I don't have to think about when I go outside and dive in my minion. I don't have to worry about not am I not disturbing my neighbor, but is my neighbor gonna hate me and hate all the Jews because we made everybody sick? You know, by by diving in a minion, and that's something that has to be given a lot of consideration to and thought about. And Israel does have a role in that if they're aware of it. The truth is that I, yeah, I was talking to a relative who, who's not a part of the Orthodox community, and that was their biggest concern, which is very interesting. The person is mm-hmm. a senior citizen, but that's what came up for them. I was like, and that, and that was before, and then there was de Blasio's tweet. And there yeah, that didn't all help. All the brouhaha around de Blasio's tweet. But what I read under all the reaction was to, uh, to de Blasio's tweet is exactly what you're talking about. It's this fear that it's like a tinderbox, and that's what that's what all the Jews in America are afraid of. Someone's going to strike a, a flame, and then they're going to ignite anti-Semitism. And I think you're really correct in pointing that out. Um, and I think we should be sensitive to that. I think that's a good point. Like in terms of understanding the pain of um, of 
of Jewry outside of Eretz Israel. I think that, that, that that's something that can totally be off our radar and should not be off our radar now more than ever when anti-Semitism is rearing, rearing its head all over the world. And I'm glad that you, you raised that because it's, a piece, it's, a, it's an important piece of the picture. Okay, so that brings us to the, the second point, the issue of being patronizing. Okay, so if you're afraid of anti-Semitism, then what's the answer? If you're worried about diving in a minion because of what the judge is going to say, Molly, you want to say it or you don't want to say it? I don't want to say it because I don't want <laughs> you don't to want to say it. it. Okay, so one but that, that brings one. What does Molly want to say? So then the, the some have said. Some would say I've heard. Let's put it this way: when there was a, when there was a deadly attack in in Marseille and wherever is in France. And Bibi Netanyahu came to console the, the people of France. He got up in the main show in Paris and said, yeah, really, you should all be living in Israel. That's essentially what he said. And it, it doesn't go down well. People in Israel don't understand that. So that leads us to the second, the second half of our conversation, which is the offhand remarks made by Dr. Avshalom Kor during the Chidon Hatanach, the international Bible context. So Mali, I'll ask you to take over and, uh, and describe what he said, and then I can respond. No, Johnny, you'll say what he said, and then Johnny will answer. I listen, I don't say <laughs> yeah, what he said because I, listen, I have too, too many things to say. Wait, okay, you want Johnny? Johnny, will you tell us, will you remind us of what happened and why there was a... a I, I, I have it written out from a newspaper article, so, uh, I, mean, I did, so I go did ahead. watch some of it whilst the other time I was getting my barbecue uh, going. Well, guess what? Mirka Shapira, which is under my Moatzash, Ruth Cohen. Oh, yeah, there you go. We we watch it every year, but we were specifically watching it because the the runner-up was a contestant from the Kor Chaim. So my my son goes to the Kor Chaim. His father father is my son's teacher. He's in Ariel here. His his sister is... uh, Oh, and there was a contestant from the Yeshiva Greater Washington in Silver Spring. Go Yeshiva. All right. Anyhow. Johnny, what happened? <laughs> so, I feel bad that I didn't mention the girl from the UK, whatever. <laughs> now, um, what happened is Dr. Shalom Kaur is a, is a, um, he's, he's a regular presenter of the Chidon Tanakh and also a leading expert in, in the modern Hebrew language, grammarian, etc. Feel free to add further qualifications. But ultimately, what happened? He's a national is, treasure in Israel. It's also he should be yes, said. He's that's a national a big treasure. Part of it. You remember when okay. they kicked him off, and Sivan Ravmi was supposed to replace him, and she wouldn't. When she realized he was fired to give her the role, she stepped back. So they had one, right. She's like, she was like, I'm, I can't. I'm not. I'm not firing Avshalom Kor because I'm cooler, younger, hipper, and more popular. Like we're not doing that to this national treasure. And then they had I forgot who did it for a year, and they brought Avshalom Kor back because they realized that like um, it's hard to describe he's, he's like the language expert of israel he's been you doing know it he for always... like how many years has he had rega shalivrit on israeli radio right right so he's years, like a national treasure years. anyhow go ahead johnny you know what i'm talking about uh, so so apparently there was a <laughs> there was a moment where the video caught somebody uh, elsewhere was it in mexico i think who was just looking a little bit pensive and uh, and uh, dr shalom Kaur basically says well, you know, the people are thinking, why that person not smiling? He says, what do you have to smile no, about? You live in your life. Smile or something. Ah, right. Okay. Uh, Which so also, give these kids a break. These guys are yelling at them over. Like, That's what he was trying to do. He was trying to just... These are teenagers. Anyway. Yeah, but but so not only... The, this notion of not only do they live in outside of Israel, they live in the Gola, which is seen to be a more pejorative term than Hatfutzot, right, in the diaspora. Um, and then when there was some kind of delay in the video connection, 
uh, he made a similar remark saying, everything goes slower in the Golan, not like here, not like in Israel. And uh, a number of people took offense, in particular, the leader of the the, uh, the campaign really the to... Right, exactly. Whereas the Rudiman Foundation, Jay and, and Shira Rudiman, who basically says, listen, you've used this platform to speak, and I'm going to quote them, in a condescending manner to the teenagers representing different Jewish communities around the world. And they asked... Uh, uh, Rav, uh, Rafi Peretz to distance himself from Kuro's comments uh, for him to say they don't reflect the position of the education ministry which Chidona Tanakh is under and apparently he has chosen not to do so. Yeah, he was right not to respond. I mean, I don't think anybody did anything wrong here. They're right to make their point and he's right not to make an issue out of it. You know, like they're going to make it into more of a brouhaha. The, the question, Johnny, is do you agree with the Rudermans about their criticism of Amshalom Kor? Number one, and number two, do you think it's a big deal or do you think it's an issue of comment? Everybody makes mistakes. We're not talking about making a mistake. Do you think it's it's important to note Avshalom Kaur is making these side comments during the Chidon Tanah? He made two or three comments. I have two written here, but uh, I think it was, there was a third one as well. We talk about an international Bible quiz, which is shown on Yom Ma'ut, which many people in Israel watch, many people around the world watch. And it seemed to be something that brings the Jewish world together on the day celebrating the modern state of Israel. Uh, and remarks that uh, are uh, uh, derogatory, uh, both either personal or to do with the very fact that you're talking to people outside the state of Israel, is uh, off-tone, uh, I think improper. Uh, I think may well have been offensive for the kids. Obviously, I can't speak for them. I'm sure the kids the didn't hear it. I'm positive the kids yeah. had other things to worry about. Exactly. That may be the case. <laughs> Nevertheless, though, going through their memories. I, I think I think the Rudermans were, were right to to raise this point. Um, I, I think other people probably raised it more privately. Uh, but nevertheless, they felt as people who are trying to bring the Jewish world together. Why are you trying to separate a Jewish world in an event that's supposed to be all about how the Tanakh is what is our, you know, destiny? It's it's our, it's really in the book of all books. This is what we're all talking about. There's something really beautiful, how you've got kids in America, in Mexico, in England, right, in Israel, in different parts, all answering questions. I mean, there's something so beautiful about it, and it grated on the listener, and it clearly grated on, on many others who, whether or not were listening, felt there was improper and out of line for him to make those remarks. So actually, it's really interesting. The, the, one of the most beautiful things about the Chidon Tanakh that many people are not aware of is that every year Israel brings in uh, literally dozens, if not more than a hundred young people from around the world. It uses the Chidon Tanakh as an opportunity to get these young people, A, to learn Tanakh, to compete. But even more than that, they bring them in, they take them to have a whole camp, like a Tanakh camp, and they meet each other. Meaning one of the tragedies of Corona, because like, tra among the many tragedies, is that these poor kids, they missed out on this just incredible opportunity to have to be part of the Chidon Tanakh. They had to do it, like to get up at 4 o'clock in the morning and be there over Zoom. But Johnny, my question, I guess I'll, I'll ask you is, um, I'm sorry if there's a background noise, there's jets around here in Italy where I live. Uh, the, the, the question is, okay, Avshalom Korah misspoke and it was unfortunate and what have you, but does his does his his off comments to me seem to reflect a, a sort of what we, we call it a patronizing attitude? You know, okay, it's very nice that we have these kids and very lovely, but really, what are you all doing there? Like, if you if you, if you know enough to study Tanakh, 
what are they, what are you participating in this in this contest from the Gola where nothing is good, nothing to smile about, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. There seems to be this subtext, and that's why I think the criticism I felt the criticism of Dr. Kur was was in place, not that he should be replaced and whatever, but because because it was an offhand comment, sometimes the the, the things you say under your breath are the most true. Because you don't even think twice about whether it's you know like wh whether it's hurtful or not because oh, it's like whatever, and, and that reflects a sort of attitude in Israel that on the one hand one can at the one time agree with, think that it is true. I will say it. I hope you, if you're listening to Gola, I hope you agree with me. If you're listening to RC Weekly, you agree Jews belong in the land of Israel. But at the same time, it doesn't mean that every every time you interact with them, you have to mutter under your breath. Nothing goes around the Gola. You know, there's a there's a there's a fine line between what I think and what I believe and what you believe at the same time and, and sticking it in your face all the time and wondering why you're not moving here. And that undertone, I think, is connected to our to our the first part of the conversation. Because if that undertone is there, then why would they look to me? Like they should really be here. Like, why should I support them? Well, I'm gonna support them and then they're gonna stay there. I, I think that there is something deeper going on in Dr. Kaur's comments that has to be addressed. Yeah, go, Johnny. Can I, can I just briefly respond and, and actually just tell you a, a story? A few, quite a few years back, I went to visit uh, uh, some uh, the Jewish community in well, one of the Jewish communities in Romania and got to know a number of kids there. Uh, and I said, "Any time you guys come to Israel, I'll meet up with you." As it happens, a year or two later, they were runners up to the Bible quiz. It basically meant that they came to Israel. They went to one of those camps. Uh, they didn't. They weren't on the TV, but they were here in Israel, and I went to meet up with them in some kind of uh, um, uh, place wherever they were staying in, in downtown Tel Aviv, and spent a little bit of time just schmoozing. It was wonderful, great to reconnect. I mention that because most of those kids uh, are not observant, uh, and their connection to Judaism is through Israel. But what I can tell you is notwithstanding the fact they didn't go to Jewish school, they haven't got intent to Jewish education, they knew Tanakh really, really well, they were runners-up for the International Bible Contest. Let's just take a different look, which I know a lot of people in Israel, including many people who live in, in secular kibbutzim, um, and I can tell you that a number of them, not all, really actually aren't so acquainted with the Tanakh nowadays, for a whole bunch of reasons to do with our educational system. I mean, there's a certain elitist presumption if you live here, you would know this thing better than if you lived there. Now, that may apply in certain sectors. Obviously, I send my children to religious schools, and I'm here because I value education. I value Jewish-Israeli education. But let's not presume that every kid who lives outside of Israel is somehow so much more depleted in their knowledge and their connectivity with Tanakh than necessarily a child who lives here in Israel. That's simply wrong. Yeah, but I don't think yeah, about like, Tanakh. I don't okay. think Kor was talking about Tanakh. It's a Shidona Tanakh. I don't, no, you can't say he's not talking about Tanakh. Has it ever been? Has a non-Israeli ever ever won the Shidona Tanakh? Yes, 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 yes. When? Yeah. Didn't Hillel Levesky win? I'm definitely sure the Americans yeah. have won. Yeah. Okay. But it's just a trick, but it's probably like, what's the percentage? So like... Oh, low, low, low. Very low. Okay, so I, I just want to respond. First, First, I'm going to just defend Avshalom Kor, and then I'm going to agree with you, Ruby and Johnny. Um, just in his defense... First of all, let's remember that it was on Yom Ma'ut, right? So, so, so this guy's mindset was a celebrating the state of Israel mindset, right? Now, you could say, well, his mindset should have been the theme of the day, which was unity. But in his mind, he's <laughs> celebrating Israeli independence. He's celebrating Yom Ma'ut. And for him, and maybe you could say this is a problem, but rightly or wrongly for him, part of um, the vision of 
of Yom HaAtzma'ut is Kibbutz Galuyot. Like that, in his mind, that's where he's coming from on that day. So, no, I don't think that's a, Ruby's making a, you know, like a, a lom de chate, right? Like, no, that, really, that's an, it's an important it's point. Really there is a context, point. Like, 100%. 100%. And, you know, we all, we, we, there are a lot of things that you think that you One second, one second. I agree. The, the second part of my defense is, you have to know Avshalom Kor, like this is his personality. The guy is like squarer than, I don't know, than a, than a child's building block. He is the squarest person on earth. <laughs> That's he, a funny metaphor. I just made it up right it's now. It's a good one. It's going to become, it's going gonna, it's gonna to go viral. Um, he's not, he's not savvy. He's not, he, he's so square. That is the essence. It's like watching the Chidon Tanach is watching like Mr. Square, like, um, you know, it's, it's, it's like he's almost corny. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, that's the essence of Avshalom Kor's personality. He, he he really is. He's also the kindest, most genuine person in the world. So my attitude is like, 100%. give the guy a break. Like, he's mamasha, uh, like, trying his best. This is him trying to make a joke. He, I'm, not, I'm not justifying his statements, but I'm saying that, like, understanding who the person is and understanding that it came from a place of good intentions, what, the way I would defend it is to say, let's not all you know, go down this grievance culture path where somebody misspeaks and says something and all of a sudden, like, as you said, it has to become an international incident. Like, bonus alum. I'm still with you. you guys. No, but I think I'm still here. Um, you know, he said something, you could agree, you could disagree, but like, at the end of the day, he had right to have a different opinion. Um, it, it doesn't have to be that big a deal. Now, to the essence of what you said, right, um, yeah, I think that 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 you're right, um, in the sense that 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 diaspora Israeli Jewry is often very tone deaf. Israeli leaders are tone deaf when they talk to diaspora Jewry, and there's nothing more offensive than being preached to. And timing is really important. And you don't preach to somebody when they're in pain, and maybe you don't preach to somebody ever, right? Um, and I think that that's that's that that should be. Um, that's something that that Israelis, maybe even Dafka the Avshalom cores of this world, should be made aware of. And I would even broaden it, Ruby. You said, well, listen, at the end of the day, if you're a religious Zionist, you agree with me that all Jews belong in Israel. Well, the truth is that not all religious Zionists believe that. There are actually religious Zionists, strong religious Zionists, who can make a compelling case for the argument that a thriving diaspora is a good is a is an objectively good thing in and of itself, and it's an objectively good thing for the state of Israel. I don't. Mm -hmm. I, I happen to think. I know. I know people who make that case, but I think they're wrong. What? What'd you say? I know people who make that case, but I think they're wrong. Right. So you disagree with them, and I would probably also respectfully disagree with them. But I think that the people who make argument are. Wait, I didn't respectfully disagree. I didn't, like, no, I'm, I'm saying you're also respectfully disagreeing. <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying that, like. Um, it, 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 it's an argument that's it's a legitimate position. I don't. I, I, it, it, meaning there, there are many positions that one could make for being in chutzlaretz, right? You could say it's my post and I'm serving the Jewish people, but you could also say that you believe that even with a thriving third Jewish commonwealth in Eretz Israel, there's a place for a thriving diaspora. Again, I, I personally, it's not the argument I would make, but 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 have respectful dialogue with people. Give them the benefit of the doubt that they are thinking, thoughtful, principled individuals. And that's the place from which dialogue should start. And if your tone uh, comes across as dismissive of that, then I think that that's 
a, that's that is a problem. That's, I'll leave it there. Okay, uh, Johnny, do you want to add anything? Um, other than it's just a real pleasure to watch Chidona Tanakh in general. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's I just a shame that this was. It's interesting that being patronizing goes both ways, because oh, yeah. because on the one hand, the uh, American Jewish community chafes when Israelis are patronizing, but they can be the American Jews can be equally patronizing about it, obviously when Israelis come and need their help and ask for help and want their support. And it, it speaks to the fact that there needs to be sensitivity on both sides. That in the end, while Louder is right and we all want solidarity and we all want to get along, and we do have the ultimate goal of supporting the Jewish people and growing the Jewish people, I think there's going to have to come a point where we realize we're, we are very different. We have different concerns and different needs and different, and different even goals sometimes. And that's okay. And that the, the American Jewish community or the diaspora Jewish community has anti-Semitism they have to worry about, and and that will cause them to, to make certain decisions that Israel wouldn't make. And Israel has terrorism and what have you, and and reality on the ground that will cause us to make decisions that they wouldn't make that they're not sensitive to. And I, I am to think that we have to sort of start to understand, or and make both both groups understand that solidarity, like, how do you say, un, means respectfully disagreeing because we have different needs. And I would it doesn't mean that we don't care about needs. We might have different life philosophies, right? And maybe that's okay, right? Like, like maybe, maybe we can respectfully disagree about issues such as, is there room for a diaspora, right? That's a big thing to say, right? Uh, I mean, you think I've brought in terms about, about the liberal about Jewish that. communities. I'm not even, that's just one Jewish example, right? That's just one example. But I think that there are deep issues and I think the idea that, like, it could be that the view from here is different than the view from there, it, it, it's important for both communities to really um, um, be able to internalize that. I think you're making a really good point um, and be respectful of the other person's point of view, and but at the same time, be willing to stand up for their own point of view. See, so this brings me, like, you know, this is obviously another discussion. Maybe we talked about it, we should talk about it again. But again, brings us back to the idea of, it, like, the religious Zionist community especially, we're talking only about how they're related to these poor kids who are religious kids, generally Zionist kids. And I think about the broader non-religious Jewish community, especially in America, the liberal Jewish community, the non-Orthodox Jewish community. And there is this sense of, on the one hand, a sense of dread and being threatened by them, but definitely a patronizing from the religious Jewish community here in Israel across all the streams. Who are they to tell us what to do? Who are they to tell us how to behave? And a sense of delegitimate. De delegitimization of that community as, as a Jewish community. And that's something that we, I believe in Israel, the Anglos in Israel have a role in promoting in saying, no, A, they're not going anywhere. B, you're patronizing Israel. It doesn't help. It doesn't make them better Jews. It doesn't make them more connected to Israel. And when you start to understand that and start to understand the things that are that they're going through, that would make for a better uh, sense of unity among Jews around the world, I believe. Mm -hmm. okay. okay, well, let's wrap it up here. We'll stop here. I want to thank Molly Brasky. We didn't introduce anybody. Molly Brasky, who is, a, who is a, uh, uh, an educator at MMY, and Harav Johnny Solomon, who teaches in uh, a bunch of seminaries. You want to tell us which ones they are? Okay. Um, I am Ruben Spolter. 
And uh, thanks, everybody. If you have comments or questions, you know how to find us on the interwebs. We're all over the place. Have a great week, everybody. Everyone should stay safe and healthy. And we pray for the well-being of not only Jewish communities around the world.